So again, welcome to uh, another week here at Fresh Vision Church. It's good seeing you all, if you're being here. Um, if you were uh, watching, listening, we hope that you're blessed and that, uh, again, if you uh, want to reach out to us, feel free to call us, email us uh, through our website or just directly. Uh, well, someone, myself or someone will get a hold of you. Uh, this morning in our passage that we're going to be looking at, um, Jesus will be teaching his followers what it means to love our enemies, and also how to avoid the danger of falling into the trap of hypocrisy. Uh, as many of you know, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we find ourselves this week continuing on in chapter 6. I'm titled uh, this morning's message, Heart Check, because this is what we see Jesus doing here um, with his listeners all these disciples that were following him, that were listening to him on the plane. Um, and that's what he does here. Well, that's what we're going to see him do here. He, he's conducting, he's having them conduct a, a heart check. And, uh, and so we have to, that, that's the same with us. He wants us to, he wants to speak to us through his word. And when he does, you know, he wants us to check our hearts. Check our hearts to see where we're at whether our heart is in the right place, um, if there's anything hidden within our hearts that we just need to um, address, that need to come out in the open, that we need to, um, that he needs to heal. Because I think all of us have places in our hearts where you know, we just don't, you know, where we just keep it hidden there. We just keep things hidden in there and it's like a little, a little uh, box, you know, and, and the Lord just wants to get, you know, he knows what's in that box, but he wants us to open up that box and let him in. And so uh, that's what he's doing here, and that's what he's going to do. And I hope that, um, again, he exposes things in your heart and he checks you, and, or you, you know, you're able to do a heart check and, and just surrender it, anything that you're holding on to, just surrender it to him. So uh, let's open up with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to, to bless us this morning. Heavenly Father, we are, again, thankful for another glorious, wonderful Sunday in September here that you've given us, Lord. Uh, seems like the days and the months are going by so more, much more quickly than the normal, Lord. And, and, and maybe, again, that's a sign that you're coming soon and that we need to take care of things quickly. Lord, and, and that we need to get the, your word out there and we need to share the message to a lost world, to our friends, our loved ones, our family, Lord. So, uh, yes, just bless, continue to bless this morning, Lord, as we get into your word. May our complete focus, our minds, just be on um, what's said here in Luke chapter 6 and, and the message, Lord. We want to hear from you, Lord. Um, pray all this, is, all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 27. And the Word of God says, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good. And lend expecting nothing in return. 
Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Amen. Having now covered the section on the Beatitudes, the rest of this sermon will deal with the attitudes and actions of those who are his followers, those who are considered, um, who consider themselves followers of Jesus. Here in this, in this particular section, the Lord unveils to his disciples a secret weapon from God, a secret weapon from God's arsenal, the weapon of love. The Son of God begins by giving four seemingly simple commands to those who are willing to listen, to those who are actually listening to what he's saying, that aren't just um, you know, watching him and seeing what kind of you know, great things he's going to do, watching, you know, just waiting to see what, if he's going to heal anyone on the spot or call lightning from the sky that are actually intently listening to him. He says, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now I say seemingly simple because it's a lot easier for people to read and repeat these words than to actually do them. Now why? Because as natural humans, we're more inclined to follow our feelings even if those feelings are wrong or unjustifiable. But as born-again believers, we're not to be dictated by our feelings. We're supposed to be dictated by truth. We, as Christians, this is how our lives are to be characterized by. Be characterized by a supernatural love that, again, isn't dictated by our feelings or how others feel about us. This kind of supernatural love can only be known and displayed by true believers who have the Holy Spirit living in them. A murderer may love his own children, but that isn't the love as Jesus, Jesus intended. The one is human affection, the other is divine love. The first requires only physical life. The second requires divine love. The first is a matter of emotions. The second is largely a matter of the will. See, anyone can love his friends, but it takes a supernatural power to love one's enemies. Now, how should we treat our enemies? How should we treat those who have mistreated us, who have, who have hurt us, harmed us, who have done things to us, who have ridiculed us, who have traumatized us? How should we treat them? How should we treat those who are prejudiced against us or discriminate against us because of our race, our disability, our social or economic status? How should we treat those who hate, mistreat you, and maybe even want to kill you just because you're a Christian? Well, we must love them. I know it sounds crazy, and I know, it's just, again, it just easy, easily flows, but we must really love our enemies. We must love them. We must do good to them. And we must pray for them. Pray for those who mistreat you. This wasn't a request by Jesus. This wasn't a suggestion, oh, I think you should do this. And No, this was a command. He was commanding you as his followers, as a believer in him, to do this. Now, I want you to take a minute and, and just think of that person or those people that have harmed you, that really hurt you in the past. I, 
I've, I've had some serious pain from my past. So, I mean, and I think everybody here has had people hurt them. Or, you know, and it, again, it could be anything. You know, for some people, there are small things. Some people, it's really big. But just think of that person or those people that really harmed you or maybe even harmed someone you loved. And now you just can't think of them. You can't stand thinking of them. You can't even stand looking at them or even being around them. This could be a classmate, a coworker. This can be um, a teammate. This can be maybe even another person that you went to church with, that you worshiped at one time with, a pastor, you know, a counselor, whatever, that just really, really hurt you. Could be an ex-spouse. Could be an old friend. Now, let me ask you, those feelings you have, those negative feelings, is it hate? Are you feeling hate in your heart for that person? If so, then you need to know, and I'm sorry to break the news to you, but you need to know that that hate in your heart, it's sin. It's sinful. And like a raging fire that starts with just a, a small little spark, it needs to be ex extinguished or else it's just gonna burn the entire forest. And they're gonna be casualties. Not just you, but other people as well. They're gonna be affected. You see, hatred only breeds more hatred. And the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 20, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. I know this, this can't be done on your own strength, but it can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. In and of ourselves, we don't have the strength to love those who hurt us or are hurting us. But with the Holy Spirit, with the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, we can. And that's why it's so important that we just cling on to him, that we hold on to him. He, the Holy Spirit, will remove the hate that's in you. The Holy Spirit will heal you from the pain that was caused. And the Holy Spirit will enable you to love your enemies as he loves them. Did you know that the Lord loves your enemies. The Lord died for your enemies as well. And then think of, a, think of that time when you yourselves were enemies of the Lord. He loved you. And I hope that when you realize how much he loved you and that he died on the cross for you, that it affected you emotionally, that it really hit you in the heart. And that's why, again, it, we need to pray for our enemies. If you're praying for them to, to fall off a cliff, man, that's the wrong kind of prayer. You need to pray for their salvation. You need to pray that they come to the Lord. And maybe, just one, maybe one day, you'll see them in heaven and finally be able to embrace them. This is the love, the agape love that the Lord is speaking of here. And that he wants our lives to be characterized by. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. And this, I'm reading from the New, New Living Translation. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And when I think of drawing on, on love's source, 
I think of Cory Ten Boom. Her family had all died at the Nazi concentration camps. Their crime, hiding Jews in their home. Somehow Cory survived. The war had ended, the camps had been liberated and Cory was speaking at various churches, sharing about God's love and faithfulness, even in the midst of horror. She writes in her best-selling book, The Hiding Place. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, a former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was at the first, he was the first of our actual jailers that had seen, that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister's Betsy's pain blanched face. He came to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, uh, Fraulein, he said. I think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine and I, who had preached so often to people in Blomendal, the need to forgive kept my hand to the side. Even as angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it's not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. See, it's not you that's loving, it's him loving that person through you. I know that our feelings, our emotions are like, you know, we, we don't want anything to do with that person, we're, we're angry. I was hurt as a child by a family member. And for a long time I felt very angry. But when I received the Lord's forgiveness and, and, I, and I was dealing with these issues, personal issues, and I knew that I had to ask for forgiveness. And I had to forgive in my heart as well. If I had to move on, if I, need, if I need, wanted him to heal me. So I got down on my knees and I just prayed. Lord, forgive me and give me the heart to forgive him as well. And he did. He did. I, I, you know, again, that's another story in of itself. But you know, I every so often, I, when there are family reunions, I'll see him and I'll be cordial, say hi. I think you know he's dealing with his own issues now that he's older and seeing you know what his his own life but and I do I pray for him I pray for his salvation I pray that the Lord just reaches down and he'd be able, that he that reaches down and just touches him and that he'll radically transform his life but whatever's going on in your life whatever whoever that person is as hard as it is, again, it's, you've got to ask the Lord for that strength. It's Him who's doing it. It's Him that will enable you to love that person, no matter how hard it is. 
God is our source of love. And his supply never runs low. When you have trouble loving someone, whether friend or enemy, ask God for the love you need. And he will supply it. For it is in his very essence and will. Jesus then shares with his followers what kind of, what this kind of love looks like. In verse 29, the beginning of verse 29, he tells us, if anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. In other words, we must accept certain evils committed against us. We must accept it. It's, it's just going to happen as believers. People are going to harm us. It's our choice how we're going to respond to that pain. When you're being mistreated, insulted, offended, Jesus prefers that you bear it and trust in God to defend you. Now, did Jesus mean that evil should never be resisted? Not at all. He demonstrated with his life that evil should and must be resisted, such as when he turned the tables in the temple. Did Jesus mean that a physical attack can't be resisted or cannot be resisted or defended against? No, he didn't mean this either. When Jesus spoke of being hit on the cheek, it was culturally understood as a deep insult, not a physical attack. So for example, if someone were to hit you across the right side of your head with a baseball bat, he isn't saying that you should let them hit you. You should let them hit you with it again on the left side. You know, I, oh, I'm going to block it. I'm going to run away. I'm not going to give him that other, other cheek for him to give another blow across the head with a baseball bat. And I'll tell you this. You know, I, I will do anything to defend my family. You know, and as a, being in law enforcement, I have a responsibility too to to defend those who are, you know, who are in harm's way. If I saw there was a danger here, I'm not gonna cower. I'm not gonna, you know, just say, hey, you know, give you my cheek. No, I'm gonna do whatever I can to to defend the flock here, defend you all. He also didn't mean that there isn't a place for punishment or retribution in society. Jesus here was speaking of personal relationships and not to the proper functions of government in restraining evil. Yes, I must turn the other cheek when I'm personally insulted. And that's hard. I'll tell you what, I mean, my pride sometimes does get the most of me. And if I'm insulted, I, it will really take the Holy Spirit just to give me the strength just to not say anything. I've always been the kind of person that will say something back. Um, but again, I, 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 I have to. That's what we're called to do. Again, I, I guess I must turn the other cheek when I'm personal or something. But the government has a responsibility to restrain the evil man from physical assault. In the second half of verse 29, the Lord then says, If anyone takes your coat... Don't hold back your shirt either. With this, Jesus told us how to deal with people, again, who mistreat us, coerce, and manipulate us. Manipulate us. You should take command of the situation by giving generously when others are being selfish. All for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. If other people want what you have, let them have it. Whether you have to give it away yourself or simply let them keep what they stole. Put yourself in their place. Let them have what they want. What would, what would, I'm sorry, let them have what they want. What you would want if you were where they, where they are. 
The golden rule, again, is to treat others with the same kind of kindness and consideration as you would like to receive. Jesus then discusses the logic of selfless love in verse 31 to 36. Unbelievers can love those who love them. This is natural behavior and so common that it makes no impact on the world of unsaved men. Similarly, it's natural for believers to love those who will reciprocate love. It's just natural, something that we do. We, you do something nice for me, you love me, I'm going to love you back. It's just, that's a Christian thing to do, but you know, everybody does that. If you think about it, again, even non-believers do that. But we also do this because Jesus commanded it in John chapter 13, verse 34. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And many of us know that. We, we know we have to love our brothers and sisters. But here's the point. Again, anyone is capable to return love for love. However, it's not really considered selfless love if Christians are merely returning the love that has been given to us. Selfless love is being able to love others even when they don't love us back. To love others when they're mistreating us, harming us, when they're being mean to us, they're insulting us. To love them, that is selfless love. Selfless love will also be known by your generosity. If someone wants to borrow something from you, loan it to them. Don't look at them all like, man, are you gonna pay me back? You know, are you gonna just loan it to them? Don't hold back in, in selfishness. Don't sit down and figure out how much interest you'll get or whether you'll have a good chance of getting the loaned item back. Just give away what you have to those who need it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, love everyone. Do good to everyone. Even the worst enemy who has put you in the persecuted, impoverished condition you're in. What will you get out of this? You will be acting like your Heavenly Father. You will be showing mercy to those who don't deserve mercy. This is how God shows mercy when you don't deserve it from Him. When you act like that in love, you'll be pleasing the Father and He'll be proud to call you His son, His daughter. Can you ask for anything more? I know I can. Beautiful, amazing. I know it's hard, ladies and gentlemen. But this is what we're called to do, to love our enemies. Not a suggestion again, it's a command. If you have trou trouble with that, if you just can't, talk to one of us, let us know, and we'll help you. And, and, and I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, and for some people it takes longer than others. That healing sometimes takes, takes a while, but you've got to allow that healing to begin somehow, sometime. You, know, you don't want to breathe your last and still hold on to that hate, that grudge that's in your heart. You know, and I see, if possible, once he heals, I. I mean, put it this way, complete healing will occur when you can actually tell that person, I forgive you, even if they don't ask for it. Telling that person, you hurt me, and I forgive you. That's when true and complete healing will occur. Now, again, I can, move, I can go on and on here with this section. So beautiful and wonderful, um, but uh, I do also want to end this morning with just covering this next section here.
So if you have your Bible still open, um, let's continue reading here. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured out, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that's in your eye, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. And if you're a woman here, you can substitute sister. It's okay. Completely okay. What we see here in the beginning is there are two things love doesn't do. It doesn't judge and it doesn't condemn. Jesus said, don't judge and you will not be judged. First of all, we shouldn't be judging people's motives. We cannot read the heart and so we cannot know why a person acts as he does. Therefore, we mustn't judge another Christian's stewardship or service. And you can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. God is the judge in all such cases. If you know that person, and you know they're a decent, sincere person, just because they're making a certain choice, decision about their life, or about how you know, they want to do ministry, it's not your place to judge them. Again, we shouldn't be judging people's motives. Our brothers, the motives of our brothers and sisters. We must just allow God, to, He knows what's going on, and just, again, pray for them. Be supportive as much as we can. And in general, we mustn't be condemning. A critical fault-finding spirit violates the law of love. Now, there are certain areas, however, in which Christians must judge. You must often judge whether other people are true Christians. Otherwise, we can never recognize, we can never recognize an unequal yoke. We would never know if we're hanging out with someone that we shouldn't be hanging out with. It's okay to ask people, are you a Christian? You know, and then you can make a determination what kind of Christian they are and whether you really should be hanging out with that person. If they're saying they're Christian yet they're snorting cocaine up their nose, what is that, you know, what is that telling you? If they're saying they're Christian and they're flirting around with adultery, what is that telling you? Look for other Christians. Look for, you know, that's not the person or people you need to be hanging out with. Stay away from them as far as possible. But yes, again, you, certain cases where you must judge. Sin must be judged in the home and in the assembly. In short, we must judge between good and evil, but we must not impugn motives or assassinate character. Love manifests itself in giving. The Christian ministry is a ministry of expenditure. Those who give generously are rewarded generously. The picture is of a man with a large apron-like fold in the front of his garment. 
He uses it for carrying seed. The more widely he broadcasts the seed or he disperses the seed, the greater his harvest. He's rewarded with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He receives it into his bosom, that is, into the fold of his garment. It's a fixed principle in life that we reap according to our sowing, that our actions react upon us. That same measure we use to others is measured back to us. If we sow material things, we reap. If we sow material things, we reap spiritual treasures of inestimable value. It's also true that what we keep, we lose. And what we give, we have. In the previous section, Jesus, our Lord, taught that disciples were to have a ministry of giving. Here now, he warns that the extent to which they can be a blessing to others is limited by their own spiritual condition. To begin with, as disciples, as believers, again, as followers, we must be sure that we see clearly enough to guide others in their spiritual walk. If you can't see where you're going, do you want another blind person leading you? Of course not. You would want, you would both fall into the trap by the road and neither of you would be able to get out or help each other out. You need someone that's better equipped, who's better equipped than you to guide you. This certainly is true discipleship. If you're a young believer, if you're a young Christian, you need to seek those out. You need to see those Christians out. The, ma the mature ones that will help you, that will help guide you, that will help lead you. Find those that are wiser and seek their advice, their suggestion, questions, ask questions. It's okay. And as older, more mature Christians, we should be able to be there for those young ones and answer those questions and not feel like, you know, I don't have time. Again, that sometimes those answers to the questions might change their entire lives, entire outlook. You know, it could be could be one of those things where it would will cause them to continue walking with the Lord or cause them to stumble if they don't know the answer. So again, as mature, grounded believers, you also have a responsibility. Again, but as new ones, you need people. You need Christians who are better equipped to guide you. The new disciple must know that the teacher knows more be honored and respected. Honor that person. Respect that person, that, that, that discipler. The new disciple must not, however, remain a new disciple. If you're still, you, know, you, you can't stay a baby Christian your entire life. You need to grow. You need to continue to grow. You need to continue to, you can't always survive on baby milk. You need to start chewing on the solid food. Now we understand everybody's growth rate is different. And again, that's okay. But if you're still the same Christian or believer you were when you first became a Christian, then uh, something's going on. You're not getting fed properly. You're not growing properly. There's something going on. The goal for the disciple is to become like his teacher. Ultimately, the goal is for every disciple to become, like who? The master teacher, Jesus himself. No disciple should ever have any lower goal than to be like Jesus. In verses 41 and 42, our Lord uses an illustration of a speck. I'm sorry, of a, of a, yeah, a speck and a plank to explain the importance of a splinter, I'm sorry, a splinter, um, to explain the importance of not allowing the disciple to become 
the judge. One day, a man was walking past a threshing floor where the grain is being beaten out. A sudden gust of wind lifts a tiny splinter or sh of shaft, and it lands squarely in his eye. He rubs the eye to get rid of that irritant, but the more he rubs it, the more irri irritated it becomes. Just then, another man comes along, sees the distress of the first, and offers to help. But this man has a beam sticking out of his own eye. He can scarcely help because he cannot see what he's doing. The obvious lesson is that the teacher cannot speak to his disciples about blemishes in their lives if he has the same blemishes to an ex exaggerated degree in his own life, yet cannot see them. If you don't think you have a problem with an addiction, going out and helping others, try to help others who have an addiction. If you have a problem, still have a or dealing with a problem and not an unresolved issue with anger, when you see your brother or sister acting out in, in anger, don't try to tell them, give them tips on how to, how to calm down or how to change their attitudes when you haven't, haven't resolved or checked your own attitude. You have to be aware. Do you have a plank in your own eye? Be honest with yourself. Before you help another person, with an issue, have you dealt with that issue yourself, personally? And are you comfortable enough? Are you really the kind of person that can deal with their issue? If you're dealing with an issue of, man, if you're dealing with an issue of pornography, for instance, it's not good for you to help someone who's dealing with it themselves who's having, struggling with it, with it themselves, if you haven't resolved it yourself. So again, just be wise. Use uh, discernment and be honest again with yourself. If we're to help, if we're to be to help, if we are, were to be a help to others, our lives must be exemplary. Otherwise, they will say to us, Physician, heal yourself. As humans, we have a tendency. Our tendency is to be easy on ourselves and too harsh on others. Do as I say, not as I do. You know, what's good for you, uh, it's not for me. I'm, I'm okay. I'm dealt with this. I'm better. You know, we're usually harsh on others. We see a tiny speck of dust in another person's eye and want to remove it. You want to help them, yeah. The other person, the other person must be perfect. All the while, other people wonder, wonder why we're so blind. Can we not see what's sticking out of our own eye? No. That two by four in our eye goes unnoticed no matter how many times we look in the mirror. We moan and we complain about the hypocrisy in this world, even the hypocrisy in the church. Jesus looks lovingly at us and says, you hypocrite, first take the beam out of your own eye. Until Jesus has helped us to see ourselves realistically and to deal with our spiritual problems, we cannot become mature disciples. Teachers, the teachers of others whom he calls us to be. The emphasis here again is being honest with ourselves and not becoming hypocrites. It's easy to try to help a brother or sister with his or her faults just so we can cover up our own sins. People who are constantly criticizing others are usually guilty of something worse in their own lives. So check yourself, check. He's, you see what he's doing? He's, he's asking us to check our hearts, to check ourselves,
to look ourselves in the mirror, be honest with ourselves. And if we can't see it, to come to him and say, Lord, show me where, I can, show me things I can't see. It's something I ask on a regular basis. Lord, like, I'm not perfect. I still got things I'm still dealing with in my own life. My life isn't, my marriage isn't perfect. You know, I can't think of another, you know, not, I don't think there's another marriage that's perfect, but, you know, um, I know. But I want, see, I want the Lord to show me things I can't see so I can deal with them. Yeah. So that way I can help you. I can be there for you when you're dealing with it. I've already dealt with a lot of things in my life. A lot of things I didn't want to deal with, I tried to ignore. And it was hard. It was hard confronting these issues. I didn't want to believe or admit that I was an alcoholic. But if I needed healing, if I needed the Lord to remove this junk and to help me lead others, to help others with the same problem, I had to be honest with myself with that. And yes, I had a serious problem. I had a serious, again, I mentioned a little bit, things that happened in my past as a child. I had a serious problem with how I dealt with my wife and issues that we had and, and you know, I had to be honest with myself, look myself in the mirror. So again, the Lord has taught me a lot about myself and, and when he showed me and I was able to see in the mirror, I saw the ugliness. But again, the Lord was able to show me the beauty too. There is, once the healing takes place, there is beauty there. So, look yourself, you know, in the mirror. Ask Him to help you, to heal you. There's, I know it's just a few of us here, but a lot of us dealing with different kind of issues, and you can help them. I'm only one person, and I. What I want eventually is to have a church here where everybody's just ministering to each other, helping each other out. You may have a specific thing that other person is dealing with and you can help them out with. You must get to know one another. That's one way, we, again, we just, we serve, we get plugged in as a church, we just, you know, fellowship with one another. Having coffee and donuts is great, but also, once in a, you know, we got to know what's going on. Right now, we're only meeting once a week. I really would like, you know, eventually for us to, to be able to meet more often. But, you know, for just a few, few short time or short, you know, time, just let us fellowship and talk and have a great time and, and just, but also pray for each other, pray for one another. So, uh, Again, let us uh, be there and minister to one another. I'm going to end there. I'm going to close there. And next week, I'm, I'm going to try to finish off chapter 6. But uh, I hope this, this, these two sections we covered here challenged you. I hope the Lord definitely spoke to you. That you can go home and just pray. Ask the Lord to really show you more. Reveal things more. Think, reveal more to you, um, and that you just—it's going to radically transform you if you just allow. Change who you are, and I hope that six months from now, a year from now, you're a completely different person than who you are now. That's what he wants from you. So let's close with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this word. Thank you for this time, and, and Jesus, we are so thankful that you use these opportunities to, to challenge us, to, to reveal us, to reveal, to check our hearts, Lord. I pray that these words here will transform, continue to transform us, Lord, that they will move us to, 
to ask the right questions, to, to seek you out, to seek people to disciple us. Just to be honest with ourselves again, to seek questions, ask the right questions. I pray for everyone here, Lord, that um, whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're dealing with in their personal lives, in their professional lives, that you will give them the answers they need, that you will give them the comfort they need. And that they will react and that they will just, whatever it is, Lord, that you will, that they will be guided by you, Lord, and not be guided by their feelings or their emotions. May they be witnesses for you. And again, just do all things for your glory. Pray for those who are watching and listening, Lord. Be with them, whatever they're also struggling with. Comfort them. Be with them. And if you are the place where you need Jesus, you want Jesus to come into your heart and become, you know that you need a Savior. You want this healing, supernatural healing to Take to, to, you want this supernatural healing. You want your sins forgiven. Let me lead you in a short prayer to do that. Pray this, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You shed, your blood was shed for me. confess you as Lord. I believe in you. I empty my sins upon the cross now and ask you to fill me with your spirit. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for forgiving me and I accept the forgiveness. Help me to walk according to your ways the rest of my life, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.